0: Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show.
1: Remember the jukebox back in the day. It worked until it did not work, and I killed it. So let's go back. Let's throw it back. Albie, start me off with some logins. Dave Logins. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. Thursday at Augusta. The first round... A tradition unlike any other. Now, if that's all that was happening today, that would be a lot. But there is more because it's opening day for MLB as well. And I did mention Jukebox. So if there's an actual Jukebox, there's got to be another song. Let's make it a two for Tuesday. On a Thursday, Alvy, give me some stab. Give me some Scott stab. Get it, old man! Rin loves that stuff. I I can't believe what I'm about to say. But let's play ball. It's game day. We want strikeouts, base. It's double Double plays. I mean, I, I don't know what's gotten into me, but it actually feels good to not only hear but sing those words huh it even feels great to hear the crack of the bat from Scott Stapp totally natural sound too love hearing that love that sound the smell of the grass the crack of Stapp's bat So, you've got the Brewers and the Cubs, and they're going to start it off in hour number three. And the mayor, Sean Casey, will help kick things off at the top of hour number two. But the real story right now is the Masters and the return of Tiger Woods. He's on the course right now. The return of Tiger Woods and the continued absence of Phil Mickelson. So, there was a weather delay. And it did postpone the start by about a half hour, but they are underway and Tiger is on the course. Jack Nicholas, Gary Player, Tom Watson already hit their tee shots and the field is out. But the thing is, even though Tiger's out there, I still can't get over or figure out exactly what is more bizarre, that Tiger is there or that Phil is not there. You tell me, what's more bizarre Tiger, who was in a car wreck nearly a year ago, a little over a year ago, nearly lost his leg, if not his life. And he's out there. He's on the course right now. And Phil Mickelson, who ran his mouth a few months ago, isn't anywhere to be found. Like, how does that work? What's more amazing of those two things? And as I talked about yesterday with Rex Hoggard on the program, the Masters wants to make it very clear that Phil is not suspended. Phil suspended himself. Fred Ridley, the chairman of Augusta National, put it like this Well, first, I, I would like to
0: say we did not disinvite Phil. Uh, Phil is a three time Masters champion and is invited. You know, in in that category and many other categories, he's the defending PGA champion.
1: So in other words, he's more than welcome. In fact, they want him there. A three-time Masters champ, the reigning PGA champ, but he's skipping the Masters. And it's not due to injury. And it's not because he wasn't invited. It's because he just decided not to go. And he's not saying why. How weird is that? This is a guy who is beloved at Augusta. This is a guy who loves it at Augusta. And his fans are the most loyal fans on the planet. They have bought this dude's act for decades. There is nothing they would not forgive this guy for. And I mean nothing. And he's just bailing because he took some heat a few weeks back and he couldn't handle it? The same guy that was telling all of us to toughen up? I mean, if that's what that is, if that's why he's not there, how soft is that? I mean, that is doughy, doughy soft. That is softer than the custard castle that Monty destroyed back in the day. Would
2: you like some
0: tea with your scones and all that, you know, going on? So I'm over there with my wife, and they have this big buffet there, and they have this big custard, big uh, banana custard. So Monty comes over, and he's got this big plate, and he's scooping this custard over there. (laughs) Just takes the whole thing, and I'm thinking, well, that's nice. He's at least taking it over there for everyone to have some. He went over there and ate the lot himself, Romy. I knew that he couldn't, he couldn't clip me with all that on board on the back nine.
1: He ate the lot himself, and I knew that he couldn't clip me on the back nine with all of that on board. Elk's still elk. Elk's still elk, and Ridley had more about hefty.
0: Phil uh, reached out to me and, and let me know that he did not intend to play that, that was uh, by way of a text and I thanked him for the, his courtesy and letting me know uh, told him that um, we certainly appreciated that and uh, you know told him that um, you know I, I was certainly willing to you know discuss that further with him if he'd like and he thanked me and
1: we had a very cordial exchange so the guy just texted Fred And told him that he was skipping out. Again, how weird is that? Is this really part of his response to getting in hot water for bumping his gums? I mean, maybe he didn't want to face the music from those comments about the scary mother bleepers. But he could have met with the media a while back. So that would have been out of the way long before this week. And even if this was the week for his return and to address it, now that Tiger's back, Phil would have been a much smaller story. Do what everybody else who's ever been in that situation does. Rip off the Band-Aid, own it, apologize for it, and then move the hell on. Just take your medicine and then get back to doing what you do best. Being Phil, playing at Augusta, and trying to make every last dollar that you can. I mean, sure, maybe it's a tough hour. Probably not even that tough of an hour, and maybe not even an hour. And then you can get back to playing golf and making money. Or you can do what Phil is doing, apparently, and exiling himself for no apparent reason. And again, for what? Because he didn't want to face the music. The same guy telling all of us, hey, man, toughen up, toughen up, you know, toughen up. Or is it about something else, all right? So if I want to give him the benefit of the doubt, maybe it's about something else. Because I can't figure it out. This is a guy who loves Augusta. This is a guy who loves money. And going to Augusta means he has a chance to make money. This is a guy who loves people looking at him and talking about him and going to Augusta and making money. All those things would have happened if he just shows up, but he didn't. He's willing to give all that up. The guy is passing on a chance to be corny as hell on the big stage and walk away with a nice check. And he's not hurt and he's not banned. I mean, what is it? Is it about what he was saying near the end of his alleged apology? Remember, he said, quote, I know I have not been my best, and I desperately need some time away to prioritize the ones I love most and work on being the man I want to be. Again, I don't know exactly where he was going with that, because that does not sound like the kind of thing you include in an apology when you say stupid bleep. That sounds like something different. But then even so, what does that have to do with him not playing at Augusta this year? And would he be saying that had he not said that other stupid bleep? And don't get me wrong. Like, I'm totally fine with Phil not being there. It's still going to be the Masters, believe it or not, even without his corny ass. The Masters is awesome. It is. It was the Masters before Phil got there. It'll be the Masters long after Phil is done playing. But he's not there right now, and he's not saying why, and I just find that weird as hell. Like, I really hope this guy did not bail because he didn't want to own his comments and take responsibility and take a little medicine and own it. Nothing says toughen up like not showing. You know, toughen up. Tell you what, bro. I could have helped you i could have helped you phil you should have called me i could have helped you face your fear as an example first breathe breathe always breathe second keep repeating to yourself i am not defined by my reckless and unintelligent comments do that i am not defined by my reckless ...and unintelligent comments. Do that. And number three. Reality check. Your itch. Your itch is money. That's your priority. So freaking scratch it. You don't care about anybody else. Come on, man. Man up. Just own it. Especially when you're running around telling people to toughen up. And I've said it a million times. I get that the world's changing. But the country... As divided as this country can be and is, it's still a very forgiving nation, especially of celebrities, especially of that celebrities. This dude has been getting over on his fans forever. show up, apologize, act like you mean it. And then it's done. It's over. I, for the life of me, I cannot believe that Tiger Woods is on the course right now. A little over a year after nearly losing his leg and possibly dying and feels nowhere to be found. And we don't know why. Weird, man. Just weird. 1-800-636-8686. 8686 uh, i check the leaderboard for you. Did you get down? Did you hit that? I did. I got a couple of guys I hit yesterday. So more on that a little bit later on. Just weird things great to see tiger back and i just don't understand where phil is and now i've got a message from discover about rewards if you're a loyal credit card customer you should be rewarded for your loyalty preferably with something that's useful you know like cash back match discover matches all the cash back that you've earned at the end of your first year how cool is that finally rewards that make sense discover exceptionally common sense learn more at discover.com slash match limitations do apply sean casey returns to mlb network on monday make sure you check out his mayor's office podcast because it is awesome case it's opening day you're back in the jungle where you belong case how you feeling how you doing romey
2: let's go buddy opening day 2022
1: great to be back on my man i didn't
2: i didn't know if this was going to happen this year so i'm glad it ha- it's happened
1: Bam. Exactly right. I did not think it was going to happen, but here we are. Here the bleep we are. It's opening day. It's a tradition we have, a tradition unlike any other. You know, Case, it's so great to have opening day, but let me start right here. As you know from playing in Detroit, there is a good chance you're going to face some rough weather at the start of the year. You have a great story about getting off to a rough start when you were playing for Jim Leland. Let me start right there. How rough was that start? <laughs>
2: man you're the best dude yeah 2007 worst start of my career opening uh you know opening day was bad and then the first first month was bad you know i just i just couldn't get going i swear bro it was 31 degrees every day in detroit flurrying. it's it snowed like a few days in, the, in those first few weeks, and I remember I was hitting every day. I would come early every day with Lloyd McClendon to hit, to hit, and I just couldn't get things going. And, and this one night, I'm pulling out of I'm pulling out of the uh, Comerica Park, and probably passed a few drug deals on the way to the highway, but that was a whole nother story. And you know, I'm I'm pulling out, and thinking to myself, you know what? I'm three weeks in, I'm hitting 110. I got I'm being too passive. I got to get more aggressive. I, I'm gonna be aggressive. Tomorrow's the day. I can't wait to get to the parks i woke up that morning my sons were like four and three at the time playing wiffle ball outside i'm like i wanted to hit anybody i was like throw me one of those pitches right here boom i'm launching my kids over the house you know and and then i get to the yard early four o'clock batting practice starts well, hit every ball I hit is is in the is in the seats. I'm launching balls, I'm like aggressive, aggressive, aggressive. So I'm about to run out to batting practice 6:45. I'm like tonight's the night. I'm gonna get things going. And Leland's already in. The, you know, he's already got a couple heaters rolling in the dugout. He's got, <laughs> he's got his spikes on, full uni. He's been there probably since six. And I'm just about to run out for my sprints. He's like, Hey, Case. I hey, talked to you real quick. I'm like, I come running back. Yeah, what's up, Skip? He's like, Hey, listen. He goes, I've been scouting Sean Casey for a long time. And the Sean Casey I know is patient. I'm just like... Oh, my God. He's like, I think, you're being, I think you're just swinging at everything. Tonight, I want you to go up there, and take a few pitches, and really get into the at bat. I'm like, oh, my God. This is like worst case scenario. I just pumped myself up for 24 hours, but I'm going to swing at the first. You could throw the rosin bag up there, and I'm going to swing at it, you know? So, uh, so I'm fired up. Next thing you know, I'm in the dugout, you know, last at bat. Bam, I punch out. 0 for 5, two punch outs. I'm now hitting like 104. So I go over to, like, the eighth thing, I go over to the water cooler, just literally want to retire at this point, and I'm, I'm getting some water, and bam, like a pack of marble hits me in the face. It's Leland right next to me, just like, and he gets right in my face. He's like, if you – he points, points in my face, like, if you ever – ever take my advice I'm hitting again I'm sending a double A he goes I got no idea what I'm talking about I was O for August one time as a player and he walks off
1: oh that's incredible <laughs> like, it's
2: that's incredible. why he's the greatest manager of all time and I think I got hot the next day
1: That is incredible. Sean Casey joining us. What an amazing story. You know, This kind of gives you a sense, but you had Curtis Granderson on your podcast, too. And he was talking about the fact that he would sleep on a flight from city to city and then wake up for the same reason you just mentioned. Like, he had a pack of Marlboros right in his face. Like, Leland, you get the sense, was like burning one's heater off one another. I mean, smoking on an airplane case. Incredible. But at the end of the day, what was it like to play for that guy?
2: Oh, man, he was the greatest, and it is funny. Like, I remember one time one time I was, uh, I think it was during that time I was struggling. Leland comes back on the flight, probably Granderson's next to me, and he's just, and he comes up to me, he's like, hey, hey, what are you using? And I go, what do you mean, what am I using? Meanwhile, I wanted to be like, Skip, do you know that it's 2007 and you're not allowed to smoke on flights anymore? And he's like, I don't care, I'm the manager. I'm like, all right, that's cool. He's like, he's like what are you using to rob the bank? And I'm like, because he's like, you're so bad right now. You're stealing money from the Tigers. He goes, Are you going in double barrel? <laughs> I go, yeah, incredible.
1: I guess I am. <laughs> oh my gosh, this dude's incredible. Like, so what would you do? Like, case okay, so the guy clearly, this is a funny, funny dude. But you could see when things were not funny, man, he would let loose on dudes. He would let loose on the team. But the dude is funny. Was it hard to keep a straight face when he was lighting everybody up?
2: Oh my gosh. Well, it was such a pleasure to play for Jim Leland because you're exactly right. You nailed it. Like, when you, when you played for Leland, he was like your buddy, but, like, you knew he was kind of like your dad that would rip your head off if you did something that, you know, he didn't, you know, he didn't like or it was a, like disrespect to the game or, or the team. So, yeah, I mean, it was like, you know, when, you, when you're with Skip, it was you know, you, you, you definitely rode that fine line. But, you know, he was just such a, such a great manager. And, you know, the stories are just, like, so endless about, you know, uh, you know he was so funny, but he just wrote the fine line of, hey, I just want to let you know I'm the manager and I'm going to make sure that, that, that you know that. And I think that was what was so genius about him.
1: Sean Casey joining us. Case, this is what I love about you and your podcast, the stories. Like, you have a million <laughs> stories and you get guys on who also tell amazing stories. Speaking of stories and legends, you saw David Ortiz in the minors. What do you remember about seeing him back in the minors and what was it like? playing with him in Boston,
2: oh man, I tell you what I played with, I played against Big Poppy when he was with the twins, and I remember I was in Akron I was in Akron, Ohio, I was in double a with the, with the Indians, and Big Poppy comes up with the twins, and I just remember man. Just a big dude. Like, he was just bigger than everyone else. Just, But he was very jovial. You know, you just kind of loved him. And, man, I tell you what, Romy, the one thing I noticed right away, that first at bat of the first game when the, when the New Britain twins came into playoff, man, Big poppy just, bam, rock at the left center, rock at the left center. And I remember thinking, I'm like, man, this guy's different, right? This guy's got, got some power in him. You know, he's got, this guy can hit. I mean, he uses the whole field. And then when he got released by the twins, I couldn't believe that. He ends up signing on with Boston and it turns out that then, then all of a sudden he's big poppy. But I knew that this guy was going to be something special back in '97 when I'm putting him him in the minors, but playing with him in '08 in Boston man just the way he went about his business, the way he treated everyone in that clubhouse, how kind he was to the fans. But that guy, for me, is on Mount Rushmore of Boston athletes, uh, you know, just as far as what he did for that city.
1: Sean Casey is joining us. Case, on MLB Network, I thought recently you did a great, great analysis of Cody Bellinger's swing. He had a brutal batting average last year, and his spring training was not much better. What do you see when you watch him at the plate right now?
2: Well, you know, I think the one thing, Romy, that I have in common with Bellinger is I had a shoulder injury, too, in 2002, and I had surgery on it. And it, I, I'm, I'm not going to lie, I grinded like the rest of that. It would never came back to be 100%. And I guess the one thing that I see from Bellinger that, you know, it, it, you know he has always had such a violent swing. He's a big dude, 6'4", six, 6'5", six, a lot of moving parts. And he had shoulder, you know, surgery on that front shoulder, and it's, that front shoulder really is, is everything. I mean, you have to hold to the last second when you face you know, a guy that's got a good curveball or a good, a good um, sinker, you know. So when I see Bellinger right now, and even last year it just seemed like everything was so rotational. Like he was really, a, like that front shoulder. I feel like flew a little too soon, maybe because it's not strong enough. So I hope he has a great ear, man, because he's a great kid. Um, but I just get worried about when you start talking about shoulders and and really, you know, hitting in the big leagues. You know, if it doesn't come back to be hundred percent, it could be a big problem for him. Mm-hmm.
1: Sean Casey joining us. We do this every single year on opening day. Case, what do you make of Yankees GM Brian Cashman pushing back on the lack of World Series? appearances, that criticism, and saying that they should have been in the World Series if it weren't for Houston cheating, and the fact that he's still saying that now?
2: Uh, yeah, probably not. I'm not a big fan of it. I can understand what he's saying, but that was 2017. I mean, you've had, you know, there's been a lot of opportunities to get to the World Series since 2009. So, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, you know, um, results aren't random. You know what I mean? I mean, they, you're either in the World Series or you're not. And uh, you know, I think I think for the Yankees, you know, obviously they have such a storied history. You know, for all fans and, and Yankee fans, you know, if you're not in the World Series, you're not winning titles, then that's a, that's a failure for them. But yeah, I think that. You know, for Cashman to kind of look at it that way, I think at some point you you, you, you got to get to the World Series and win it if you're, you know, in New York.
1: Yes, agreed. Sean Casey joining me for a few more moments. Casey, you had John Hirschbeck on your podcast recently, and one of the things you guys got into was about knowing when it was time to retire. He retired after the Cleveland Chicago World Series. You retired after the 08 season with the Red Sox, but you hit 322 that year. So you were still raking. What do you remember about your final game? And then, how did you know that it was time? Oh, man,
2: I tell you what. You know, I just, I just felt like, you know, even during that season, Rome, it was my first year off the bench. Playing in Boston was an absolute dream. I hope every player gets a chance to have an opportunity to play in Boston. But for me, it was more the grind of the year at that stage of my career. You know, I was coming off the bench, um, and I, I tell you what, I, even though I was hitting three twenty-two and still doing well, Um, that last day, man, I just knew, you know, I I remember it was Game 5, it was Game 7 of the ALCS, and uh, we were losing towards the end, and I remember thinking, man, wow, this is it. Like, this is it. This has been the run. 12 years in the big leagues, 3 in the minors, what an unbelievable run, a grateful run. But I just knew in my heart, I was a big believer of this. If you're a big league ball player and you're not in it 100%, good luck for 162 in 180 games. It's almost impossible. And for me, I felt like, man, I'm not in it 100% as i always been. And I, and, I, and I can't play the game that way. And that was the biggest reason for me, you know, walking away after
1: 2008. Got to be honest about that. And you were Sean Casey joining us. Case really quickly, like, I, I would say this. We, we have two sons. One's now in college. One is a junior in high school they both played baseball my younger son still plays baseball you know in the back of his mind maybe he's got that dream of small college baseball it it is like the most amazing it's one of my most amazing experiences in my life case to watch our boys play baseball all the way up but it's also one of the most stressful things where I never would have thought it would have been you and I have talked about your two kids before Jake is at Kent State Andrew is at Dayton how is it going and then what's that like for you as a father to watch them play
2: Oh, my God, really. you know, you know the deal as a dad. You know, I mean, I think that's the biggest thing is, like, you know, Andrew's getting some starts this year, has kind of had an up-and-down year. Um, Jake's getting a few starts as a freshman, but, you know, in and out of the lineup. And I just say, you know, you can't teach experience. At the end of the day, if you can get in there and get some at-bats, you've learned more than somebody that, that hasn't got those at-bats. So, so for me, watching them, though, as a dad, bro, like I don't know how my dad did it for the 12 years because he had the, the Direct TV package I think I bought him back in the day. And, and my mom used to say he used to pace the living room. Like it'd be, we'd be playing the Angels. It'd be 1230 at night. And my dad's in Pittsburgh just pacing the living room, you know, on game, on game 100. And, like, I, now I understand because I get a chance to watch some of these games on TV, and I'm like, Oh man, I'm just all jazzed up as I'm sure you are. Like you you want for your kids more than you want for yourself. So, what an experience to be able to watch them play. and Like you know, Romy it's it's a tough game, man. So when you watch your kids play and they fail, you're just like, "Keep going. Keep grinding. Keep going." That's what I that's pretty much the advice
1: I tell them. That's it. That's it. Case, you know, the other day we uh we had a horse race in New Mexico, and it was a big race, and Alex Bregman's dad who's kind of a famous baseball dad, is a high-ranking authority in the sport. He's a lawyer and a high-ranking authority. And, of course, we know that he taught Alex TTFN toughen the bleep up and it's funny you mentioned your dad because i'm sitting with these guys and it's still preseason and they're tracking alex's every at bat and his dad is a funny guy he's like bleep an idiot just struck out you know nothing that he wouldn't have said to the kid to his face anyway but even at that level you're talking about a really high level major leaguer the old man is still tracking every single at bat and even in the preseason and probably that wouldn't surprise you right no, it,
2: well, isn't that crazy? Because I think, yeah, you, you're, 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 still, you're still the dad, and, and you're, you, you want them to do well and all that stuff. And I, I tell you what, it is tough. I know for me, I, I try to, like, separate myself, because I remember calling home to my dad sometimes, and he would answer the phone and be like, hey, why are you swinging at that slider from uh, Randy Johnson? I'm like, dad, you come and try and hit this. I'm like, put mom on the phone so we can talk about days of our lives or something. You know uh, what I mean? I don't want to talk. <laughs> I don't really want to talk hit right now. But it, but it is one of those things, I think, as a dad, you're always kind of a evaluating especially at your kids in sports and stuff like that and it's a it's a tough thing to navigate at times even
1: if you're a big league dad
2: like Alex Fregman's dad.
1: Case put mom on the phone so we could talk about days of our lives (laughs) and it's so funny too because I'll watch games with our younger son Logan and something will happen and my wife Janet will say don't don't bring that up don't bring that up I'm like Honey, please don't tell me what I can and cannot bring up with the kid, all right? I'm only here to pump him up. But we can be real. We can have real conversations. It's so funny, like the dad and mom thing in baseball. Case, before you go, I have to get an update on the Miracle League of the South Hills. You're hosting the Miracle Bash on May 6th. What's that all about, and how can people get info?
2: Oh man, thanks, Romy. Yeah, we got our big miracle bash May sixth. It's a big deal for us because we have to replace the field after. And this has been t- our tenth year, which is which is amazing to even say that. Yeah. Um. You know, so you can help us out even if, you know all over the place. If you go to MiracleLeagueSouthHills.org, dot org, you could donate to help us with the field. If you live locally in the Pittsburgh area, you can come help volunteer, be a coach, um, you know, um be a buddy, whatever. But you know, with three hundred fifty special needs kids we serve, Romy
1: really has been one of the greatest things in my life. Good for you, Case. Such a great, great, great cause. Remember, MLB Network has got continuous live opening day coverage featuring the Emmy Award-winning MLB tonight. Plus, it is going to have the Red Sox and Yankees tomorrow at 1 p.m. And Sean returns to MLB Network on Monday. Make sure you check out his podcast, Mara's Office. Case, you are the best. It is one of my favorite jungle traditions. Great to have you back. You crushed it as always, Case.
2: You're the best, bro. And I look forward to talking to you soon. And we'll do it again next year, brother.
1: Clones, what do you want when you're craving protein or you need more energy? Not bars, not sugary snacks, not energy drinks. You want beef, pure and simple. Where's the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper beef jerky. Old Trapper is not your old man's jerky. Shriveled, dry, tasteless. Old Trapper beef jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. It's tender, it's tasty, it's not tough. And why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for its relentless commitment to quality. They take smoked beef extremely seriously, and you can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein. It comes in four amazing flavors to satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest. It goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it. In major retail stores near you, clones, if you do not see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares Old Trapper or What's Your Beef. For instance, is it me or wouldn't you think that most dudes with their handprints all over the creation of the biggest disappointment in the history of the Purple and Gold, maybe even in the sport, would maybe just maybe call it a career on their team building days. Most, I think, would, but apparently not the artist known as LeGM. because no sooner than the Purple and Gold Titanic dotted the final iceberg for the 2021-2022 campaign, Braun and his other team at HBO decided to drop a clip of him playing Team Builder yet again. But not Team Builder on the mess that he helped create. Not rebuilding and fixing that team, but apparently Team Builder on Team Braun. Check this out. Look at this clip. Braun was asked, outside of Braun E, who is the one guy that he wanted to play with still yet?
0: Who else do you want to play with? In today's
3: game, that's there's some in today's game, but Steph Curry. Yeah, that's the one. Steph Curry's the one Steph. that I want to play with, for sure, in today's game.
0: Yeah, lead the guy, man. Guy, we when, Steph,
3: when he get out of his car, you better guard
0: him right from the moment he pulls up to the arena. As soon as he get out of his car, you
3: better
1: oh,
0: guard
3: he, him. Was...
1: All right, so what he said was in today's game, there are some mother bleepers in today's game, but Steph Curry. Steph Curry's the one that I want to play with, for sure, in today's game. Lethal. Steph, when he gets out of his car, you better guard him right from the moment he pulls up to the arena. End of quote. This dude's something, right? Like, I know that sometimes, sometimes he doesn't read the room well, but something tells me that that's going to fall pretty flat with Laker fan right here, because that room is not happy already. I mean, the bodies are barely cold on a historically bad season. And the GM is already talking openly about being someplace else. Because there's no way Steph is coming to L.A. We know that. I'd bet my life on that. He's not coming to L.A. Something tells me most Laker fans right now are thinking, our organization gave you and your team the keys to the building, and you once again have your eyes somewhere else. I mean, come on, dude. I will say, though, at least instead of secretly recruiting dudes behind the scenes like he had been doing for years, bonding with future teammates, at least he's now offering up his ideas in front of the entire world in broad daylight. And just waving that middle finger to the NBA and their joke tampering rules. I got to respect that. Problem is, though, Bron, when your team is currently 17 games under 500, mostly due to a roster that you created, shared your thoughts on, people really don't want to hear your ideas on who you want to play with. Like, no thanks, idea guy. We're good. And apparently so is Steph. I mean, you're not as bad at building teams as you are at making movies. But nobody is as bad at anything as you are at that. But the second you start getting clowned by Irv in public about personnel decisions, then you know it's bad. Really bad. Maybe even rock bottom. Well, no. Actually, rock bottom was when you put yourself out there and say, hey, man, you know who I'd really like to run with? You know who I'd really like to play with other than my son? Steph. Steph. I would love to run with Steph. Rock bottom is when you saying that you want to run with Steph actually gets run back to Steph. And this is what he had to say on 95.7 The Game. <laughs> that is phenomenal. Well,
0: he got it. We, we got his wish. So he's the captain. He's picked me the last two uh, All Star games. So I don't know if that suffices, but I'm good right now. How does make you feel, though? I'm good right now, I mean, whenever you get the uh, interest or curiosity of what it would be like to play with, arguably, with, you know, MVP kind of caliber dude like he is and one greatest of all time, cool. I like, guess amazing. Right. We all can live in that fantasy world, though.
1: I mean. <laughs> He says, not once but twice, now, nah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good right now. And then, t- I'm good right now. I'm good right now. I'm good right now is code for, I'm good forever. I'm good right now. That's not happening, ever. And then he ends it with, we can all live in a fantasy world. Like the, quote, MVP caliber guy wanting to play with me. That's cool. That's cool. We can all live in a fantasy world. We all can live in that fantasy world, though. I mean, dude, did he disregard... I mean, this is like the best guy ever, Steph Curry. and just, Just disregarding it. Nah, I'm good. The alleged goat says he wants to run with me? Nah, I'm good. I'm good right now. Yeah, I'm good right now because the goat needs me and I don't need him. I'm good right now. And again, I'm good right now is code for I'm good. Period. Yeah, and don't tell me, damn, Rome... The dude's just speaking in hypotheticals. It's just a show. No, no. The dude controls the narrative. The dude knows exactly what he's doing and what he wants to push out there. He controls the content. It's his production company. They know what he wants. He knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly what he was saying. He knew how people would react to that. I don't know, the GM, but if I were you, maybe, just maybe for once, Go against your brand of bailing and heading for greener greener grasses when things start to turn. And stay and fight that thing, man. Stay and fix that thing. You've got another year left while you're still under contract. I'm sure Laker fan would much rather hear you talk about what you're going to do to help fix the Lakers on the court next season. Yeah, I know. You had an amazing year. That part of it's not on you. But the other part, the roster building part is what Laker fan wants to hear is not this fantasy world stuff about who you like to run with, but rather who you are actually running with and how you can make that better, how you can dig in, how you can figure out a way to make it work with Russ because Russ was the guy that you wanted. I don't know. Maybe pull AD aside and tell him maybe it's not just all bad luck. Maybe the reason that we're this crappy is not just because of injuries. And Russ, man, find a way to make it work with Russ because it's not like they can move him. The dude is owed over 40 mil next season. And unless you find a worse GM than yourself, you're not getting this guy off the books. So why don't we talk about the mess that you're in right now, the mess that you helped to create and not go into this whole wandering ideal fantasy world deal about who you'd like to play with if you could. Kind of tone deaf, right? Sort of like last year when the playoffs ended. The second they ended against the Suns, you were focused on this.
3: No, I think I'm going to play for
0: the Toon Squad this summer instead of the Olympics. I think that's that's my focus on, on trying to beat the Monstars or the Goon Squad, we call them now. So didn't have much success versus Sun, So now I am uh, gearing my attention to the Goon Squad here in July. Let the, I'm going to let the ankle rest for about a month. And then uh, I'm going to gear up with, with, with uh, Lola, Taz, Granny, Bugs, and the rest of the
3: crew. So hopefully see y'all at the match.
1: Well, you saw us at the match all right. And if you were in the theater at the match that day, you saw my kids puking all over themselves. We walked out of there, vomit all over, all of us. Jake and Logan crying; they're teenagers. Dad, we didn't know. I'm like, near did I, kids? Yeah, I mean, honestly though, Laker fan, how, how, how does that make you feel? This guy's just openly talking about man. I'd love to play with Steph. Yeah, I'd love to be six foot five, 245, in my prime and jumping out of the building. Neither one of those things were ever going to happen. It says, Hey, Steph Curry, what do you mean you're good? I won the Lakers an intramural rec league championship in an empty gym at Disney World. Regards, LaFraud blames. I'm good right now. See, I, I can't take exception to that. That was a legitimate championship. I can even argue that because it was in a COVID time, it was even tougher. But the second things start to go sideways, he's looking around again. All right, so now where do I go? Bounced once to Miami, bounced back to Cleveland, bounced to LA. All right, this isn't working out. Where do I go now? And now a message from Discover about customer service and common sense. Listen, when you have credit card questions, it is nice to have them answered by a real person. You know, somebody who can actually understand your issues and work to resolve them. In other words, what you don't need is a robot. That's why Discover offers helpful U.S.-based representatives available 24-7. No wonder we call it live customer service. Discover, exceptionally common sense. Discover. Dad Mata is my guest. Dad, it's been a little while, but it's great to have you on. How are you? Oh, well, I'm here This
0: right now, I am uh, bleeding and swimming with sharks at the same time.
1: Tell me what you mean by that. What's going on? Well, just, it, it is it's coming fast and curious,
0: and uh, you know, I think this thing happened so fast. Um, it's just, it's been a whirlwind of, of uh, you know, getting here and and getting to know the current players that we have right now, um, you know, trying to get a feel for who they are, and I want them to know who I am, and um, you know, starting the recruiting process. I've got to put a staff together, so it's 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 going fast at me right now.
1: I get, life comes at you fast, right? But I can feel it. In fact, it's, it's really interesting that that's how you answer that first question, Thad, because I was going to say, you played at Butler, you worked at Butler, you came back as a second stint as an assistant, then took over as head coach, and now you're back as head coach once again. Like, does it feel a little surreal, or does it feel pretty normal?
0: Uh, it's, it's a little bit surreal, to be honest with you. I think you know, if, if you look at, at all the coaches and the coaching sport in this in this profession that we do, um, how many of them actually have the opportunity to, to play at a place, coach there, go out, do life's good work at some of different universities, then come back and, and, uh, and do it again? It, it's a really a, a unique, unique situation uh, that I've been awarded.
1: You know, it's unique in that sense. But let me ask you this. You talk to a lot of coaches when they leave coaching and they come back. One of the things they say is when you're not coaching, like if you're in broadcasting or you're in administration or something else, there's not that same level of stress as coaching, but there's not that same reward. You've done everything there is to do as a coach. So why did you want to come back? Well, you know, and, and those coaches that said that are exactly right.
0: Uh, it not coaching is is a lot more less stressful <laughs> that is for sure, but you know Jim it's funny because i have I've had the opportunity in the time that I've been out to take um some coaching jobs and, and some very very good places and in the end for for me it, it it never felt right and and i i don't know why, and people would ask me all the time, you know are you going to get back in are you are going to get back in I said you know if I can find the perfect situation. And I know that there's nothing, there's no utopia in coaching, that's for sure. But if I can find the right situation, I, I would want to do it again. And, and when Butler came up, um, this, this was it. There was, there was no hesitation. And, you know, I think just from the standpoint of, of, you know, and I did want to correct you at the beginning, you said Butler, this is called the Butler university um, from now on the Butler university, but it is a unique place. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's something uh, that, that I, I've seen, you know, not only personally from myself, but from the guys I played with, to the guys that I coached here, to the, the you know, I've been the, Beller, the biggest Butler fan since I've left. When you walk out of here, you're a man. And, and, and I, I like that. You're, you're a better person. You're able to uh, go out and make a difference in society. And, and there's, there's places out there that, that don't do that for kids and that's what I love about this place is, is it does do that. There's no doubt about that.
1: We're talking to Thad Mata. So in terms of the Butler University, let <laughs> me ask you this, like you come out of there, you, I think what you just said is very interesting, Thad, in the sense that you come out of here a man, and there are other places where that's not necessarily the case. Not just a man, but a, quote, butler guy. I've heard you talk about that. What exactly, or how would you sum up a butler guy? You
0: no, know, it's, it's funny because I... I I don't know how to describe it, um, but I, but I, I think back to, uh, or I think to the the friends that I have, the people that I know that went here, and and it's just it's it's not an arrogance, it's nothing like that. It just there's a bond that that uh, we all have for life. I mean the, the the closest friends I have in in my life now are all Butler guys, um, and and. I, I don't know how to explain it, but you know it's, it's a place like I said where, um, you know, we don't give you anything. You you got to go out. and You got to get that yourself. You got to work for it. And, and ultimately, that's what life is, you know. And you, you see so many athletes that come out and they can't survive in society. Um, I, I just I, I haven't seen that, you know, from from Butler University.
1: You know that in terms of your situation, you said something yesterday. Quote. I wouldn't have taken this job, let's address the elephant in the room, if I didn't think I was physically capable of doing this job and doing more than the job needs. End of quote. You know as well as anybody that being a head coach is a grind, and more so now than ever before. What was your process then for determining, I want this, I want that grind, I know I can do it at the highest level?
3: Yeah, you
0: know, I I think I'd be the first to admit, Jim, I did not take care of myself. When I was coaching. And I think every coach uh, that you've ever had on the show would probably admit like, no, nah, I don't take real good care of myself. And, and um, you know, I think one of the things I is, is the time I spent in Indiana last year and watching Woody um, kind of prioritize things of, of taking care of himself and, and making sure that he was rested and, and, and ready to go. Um, and then also – you know, 34 years in the NBA that he spent, there was there was a lot of things that I thought were really, really important that aren't that important. And um, so that was a, a great experience for me to be a part and, and just sort of watch him as as he's trying to rebuild Indiana basketball.
1: Yeah, I would imagine the two of you guys were very good for each other while you were there. So, Thad, there was a time back in the day when you used to hand out tickets to Butler basketball games at the grocery store. You don't have to do that anymore. What do you think it's going to feel like when you come to Hinkle Fieldhouse this fall for the first game and you see that place packed to the rafters and you walk out there for the first time?
0: You know, it's funny. I think it's uh, going to be an emotional moment for me, I think. Um, Simply just from the standpoint of of Jim, when I was a young assistant here back in the late nineties and and even when I became the head coach in 2000, I I had a vision in my mind of of what I wanted to see this place look like. I had a vision in my mind of, of, of what I wanted this to be. And, and, you know, I think part of me is, is saying to myself, that's why I came back because I now have the opportunity again to, to see this thing to fruition and, and, and put my imprint back on bubble basketball.
1: So, let me finally ask you this, then. Do you feel like it's a rebuild that might take some time, or do you feel like you can compete immediately in a really rugged Big East?
0: Well, you know, anytime you, you take a job, you know, there's there's not very often do you get the Hubert Davis uh, treatment, you know what I'm saying, where obviously, mean, I'm not saying he did a phenomenal job, but, I mean, I, he may be the coach of the year this year, but you know, you're, you're taking over at Carolina, Roy hands it down and, and you got just a great situation that you're walking into. You know, we, we do have work to do here. Um, you know, at, 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 what level, I, I will say this, I, the players that I've, the guys that are on our team currently that I've met with, I think are, are number one tremendous people. Um, I think they're good players. Now we've got to go out and we don't have a complete roster right now. We've got to go out and, and get that thing completed and, and uh, move forward and, as you alluded to, I, I think the Big East is is uh, a, a tremendous basketball. I mean, we've got we've got a lot of things, Joe. But I, I've said this, you know, you, you don't have to climb the mountain to see how high it is. And and I know what we got to do, and we got to get busy on the ground
1: Well, he is back at the Butler University. He is head coach. He was introduced yesterday. I ran down the numbers. 439 career wins, a couple of Final Fours, and a five-time Conference Coach of the Year. Thad, it's been a couple of years, but great to have you back. Congrats on getting that gig, and really nice to get caught up with you. Thanks so much, Thad. Thank you, Jim. I appreciate it, man. Clones, what do you want when you're craving protein or you need more energy? Not bars, not sugary snacks, not energy drinks. You want beef, pure and simple, Dima Kovalenko is my guest. Dima, it is so nice to have you on the program. How are you?
3: Good, buddy. Thank you for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. It's
1: really nice to have you. Thank you so much for the time. So before we get into what you and your family have been through, can we start a little bit earlier? You're from Kiev, and you came to the United States. You went to high school in Rochester, New York. If we could start there, what was that transition from Ukraine to the U.S. like for you back at that time? I mean, I was,
3: you know, it, it was difficult in the beginning because I was 13 and a half years old when I left home, and uh, you know, different country, different language. I didn't speak any English. Uh, it was, you know, something completely different uh, what, what I'm used to. And uh, you know, I left my family, but you know, it's I guess it's meant to be. I guess I had to I had to leave. My family decides it's a good time for me. I guess to go. It's a better life in, in the United States. And I came to, to Rochester, New York to live with the family. Family brought me and uh, gave me the opportunity, um, you know, uh, to, to, to be in the United States, to go to school, to, know, to learn English and, you know, to have a better life.
1: Dima Kovalenko joining us. So what about life in Ukraine? What was that like for you when you were growing up?
3: I mean, it was, you know, I was a normal kid uh, going to school. I didn't really, to be honest, with you, didn't care about school much. All I wanted to do was just play soccer. You know, my father was in soccer all his life. He was he was a player when he was growing up, and you know, uh, he I guess passed it to me. You know, I you know when I born when I was born, he gave me a soccer ball and he said, "Hey, this is what you're gonna do." I guess, and that's what I you know been doing growing up. You know, he was you know teaching me, coaching me when I was a kid, and you know I fell in love with the game, and you know I wanted to play. You know, I wanted to play. That's all I wanted to do when I was a kid. Uh, I was not a good student. I didn't want to go to school. I was a, you know, I don't want to say trouble kid, but I was, you know, I, I used to get in trouble at school a lot, but I didn't want to do anything. That's why. So I uh, just wanted to, be, wanted to be a soccer player. <laughs>
1: I get that. An MLS Cup champion, a two-time MLS All-Star as well. So if we were to go back a few weeks, you're living and you're coaching in Illinois, but as the threat of Russia yeah. invading Ukraine grew, what was that time like for you and what were you feeling around that time?
3: I mean, it was, you know, it was like surreal, you know, it was like a movie. I was watching TV. I was glued to the TV every day. I didn't, honestly, I didn't sleep at all. You know, I was talking to my family every day, three, four, five times a day because, uh, you know, they were in a bump, bumps shelter for 10 days and just try to figure out what I'm going to do, you know, try to get them out of there. Um, thank God, you know, we got them out of there. It was a very, very difficult road, but it happened, you know, and, and, you know, I'm thankful that, that it happened, but, Again when I was watching that i just i just couldn't you know it was like I was watching uh, again watching a movie watching a show something's not not real you know uh a lot my a lot of my friends are there family members you know we still have grandma my grandmother's still there uh my sister's husband's still there so it's it's you know friends it's it's difficult still we're here right now uh I'm in Greece right now actually you know uh Thank, thank God, you know we, we we got him out, and but we talked to everybody, and you know just just I don't know, There's no words. Again, there's no words to describe that, that what's happening. It's just crazy, you know.
1: Dima Kovalenka joining us. You know, it's it's hard for you, for me to even fathom. I want to be very clear about what you just said. Your family was in a bomb shelter for 10 days, yeah. and when they were in yeah. that shelter, there were air raid sirens going all the time. The city every, was under attack. Every day. Yeah, but, like, what, what were those days like? What, what kind of conversations were you having with your family?
3: You know, I, I, I talk to them as much as I can sometimes that allow, allow them to, to talk on the phone uh, because they didn't allow them to take any pictures. I don't know why, but I guess they do not want them to be known where they are. You know, just, uh, I mean, I, I to this day, I don't understand what's happening, honestly. We sit here every day. We talked about it. You know, it's obviously, it's hard to not to talk about it. You know, I, you know, I don't have a TV here, so thank God. But um, we still talk about it, and it just, just thankfully, we, we are here because it just, it was, you know, I asked them, you know, I, 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 want, I asked them if I could, uh, you know, they could send me a picture where they are. I mean, they couldn't take a picture, but they, they I know, I saw where they are, how they lived. I mean, it was like 300 people there. You know, people getting sick with COVID food, they were making, it, it, it was crazy, it was crazy, but, you know, I mean, that's what it is, I mean, it's life, this happens, you know, thank God they are safe, and we're okay right now, you know, but but uh, it's a crazy experience, you know, what they had, I mean, you know, when you live a normal life, go to work, go to school, go to soccer game, whatever, you know, and then, then, you know, next day, you gotta be, silence is going on, you gotta be in bum shelter, they can only come out certain times, begin certain times to go to the store, to buy some food, to 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 bring some food, to I uh, just it's uh, just, just a chaos, you know. But uh, you know, it's it's hard for me to understand because I'm I'm here and you know, like I said, my friends are there and, and what's happening, you know, bombs falling every day, cities, kids, you know, you know, it's it, it just normal people. I, I don't, you know, I still like I said, it's surreal. I don't understand. I really don't. I'm, I'm you know, 45 years old, I still don't don't think it's real what's happening, you know?
1: Mm. Dima Kovalenko is joining us. No, Dima, your father, who you mentioned, he, so what happened was you all agreed on a plan that you would fly over to meet them in Poland, and you got this plan together, and the journey was really difficult. About your dad, your father did not come with the rest of the family initially. For those who do not know, why did he stay behind, and how were you able to convince him to finally come?
3: i mean, he had a house. You know, we have we still have a home there. We had some animals there. My grandma's still there. You know, like I said, my sister, husband. He didn't want to go. He wanted to take care of things, but you know, it was getting worse. You know, and, and you know, my dad. See, my dad is stubborn. My dad is a really stubborn guy like me. And uh, he, you know, I called my family. Said, hey, you gotta, you gotta, you guys gotta, gotta go. You know, you gotta leave. You gotta let's figure something out. You know, that was the best. Thing what we could do, my family, you know, got out, and then when they came, you know, I, I just, you know, I called him. I said, "Listen, just pack your stuff, whatever you can, and just because thing got to happen because later it was it was a lot harder to get out, you know." Um, just told him that's the reason he came because I told him he didn't want to go. He doesn't listen to my mom or my sister, you know, doesn't listen to anybody, and uh, I said, "Hey, you gotta go." So he, thank God, he came. He came weeks later. He met us and, uh, you know, again, thank God we're together, safe, and, uh, you know, happy. You know, that's the most important thing right now.
1: That is the most important thing right now, and the most important thing is that you're together. You mentioned your sister. Now, your sister's husband stayed behind a fight. How is he yeah. doing, and what has she heard from him?
3: I mean, he, he, he talks to him as much as he can, you know, not every day, but but as much as he can, and, uh, you know, it's... When he's there, sometimes they don't again, They don't allow you to, to to talk on the phone, or you have to go. You know, they tell him like mile away or half a mile or whatever to just the so they don't know where you are. I mean, I really don't understand what it means, but I don't know why. It's like I guess they track your phones, or I, I have no idea. So you know, he's he couldn't leave anyway because uh, uh, they said the men from 18 to 60 years old, the guys cannot leave the country anyway. So even if he wanted to go which is he will never do, because I asked my sister, because some people left. You know, there's ways you can get out, some people pay money, whatever. But but he said, I, I'm not leaving anyway, so it doesn't matter. Uh, he wanted to stay there and, I guess, you know, defend and do whatever he can. And then he went and signed a paper, and, you know, he got gone, and he's, you know, he's there. He's there, so uh, it's just, it's crazy again. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. It's not getting any better. We were hoping that it's going to get better, but. Every day, you're reading stuff, and just, it just getting worse. And so, we hope everything's gonna be okay. You know, mm-hmm. we don't care about our home. I mean, we do care, but we, you know, we, we can't control what's gonna happen. But if, you know, as long as our families and friends and everybody's okay, that's the most important thing. You know, right now, that's what we're thinking about.
1: So, Dima, let me finally ask you this: You were telling the MLS podcast that over the years, when people yeah. would see your passport, they didn't know that Ukraine was a country. No. And now everybody yeah. does, and they know what kind of people live in Ukraine. What do you want people to know about Ukraine and what's happening there right now?
3: I mean, you know, when when this thing started, you know, uh, you know, Putin said that it's going to take three days. You know, they, they have probably what third or second biggest army in the world. You know, uh, he said it's going to take three days for for uh, for for them to take us. You know, to to you know to win the war. To you know to take us over, whatever he wanted to do, to invade us. And then, what, 36, six, seven days now, 38 days? Yeah, we don't have a big army, you know, but we have, uh, you know, the will of our people uh, to defend, you know, our country, to to stand, to, you know, a lot of people took their families. You know what they did? A lot of guys that I know, uh, I have a lot of friends still there. They took their families away, and they came back, you know, to, to fight and do whatever they had to do to help. So you know what I want them to know is that you know uh, it's <laughs> it, it, the people of our country is like I said the will we have uh, the fight you know it's it's you know you can see it's 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 hard to describe what's happening you know again it's, it's just like a movie to me you know and and I you know I, I wish I was there I really can't you know honestly I'm not just saying this you know but you know I lived in America 30 years you know I born in Ukraine. You know, I'm an American citizen. It's not that easy to, to 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 say you know, to do what I'm saying, but but you know, I honestly you know what I want, man? I want I want this to be over. You know, that's it. So kids stop dying, women, children, you know, people in general stop dying, soldiers stop dying, everybody because nobody knew that. It's twenty first century, it's just uh I don't know, it's it's it's, it's again it's surreal. It's surreal what's happening, you know. I don't know what I can add but, to that. But, but it's
1: amazing. Yes. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yes, no,
3: no, go it's right amazing ahead. That, that, yeah, that support around the world we get. Like you said, everybody knows now. And, I mean, the Ukraine, and, and they will know after we win this war, everybody's going to know our people, our country, you know, what, what we are about, our culture, you know, and everybody wants to, you know, wanted to come and visit Ukraine. You know, I hope everybody want to help us after you know, it's going to be a, a, a you know, crazy recovery, long recovery. I mean, you, you see what's happened in the cities, what he did. Uh, it's going to be a long, long road back, but, it, you know, we, we'll come back. We're going to build everything stronger, better, you know, and, uh, you know, we just, I don't want to see people die, dying. That's, that's the only thing, regular people, you know, anybody, anybody. It's, it's sad. It's a really sad
1: situation. You know? It's horrific. It's very, very sad. Horrible. He yeah. he is an MLS Cup champion, a two-time MLS All-Star, 11 seasons in Major League Soccer, of course, a national champion, and an All-American at Indiana University. Dima, I know it's such a difficult conversation to have, but such an important one as well. I appreciate you very, very much, and obviously our thoughts with you, your family, your folks, Thanks, your people, and I, appreciate I really appreciate it. you sharing We're your okay. thoughts and coming appreciate on.
3: Yeah, man, we're okay, man. We are honestly, like, we're okay. And, uh, you know, when stuff like this happens, which is, you know, sad that, that's it to say that, that you realize what's important in life, you know? And uh, moments, moments like this, you know, we're always chasing stuff. We're always running after something. We want to make all the money in the world, have all these things. But when stuff like this happens, you don't want nothing. We just want uh, peace. We want to be together. You want to be with your family, and that's it. So that's what I wish for everybody, for this to be over, for people to get together, for people to come home, you know, be with their family. So that's the most important thing.
1: Well, man, that's it. That is the most important thing. Dima, I appreciate you so much. I hope you and I can talk again soon. Thank you very much for this.
3: Thank you, my friend. I really appreciate it. Thank you for your time.
1: Bill in Sacktown. It's good to have you, Bill. How are you?
3: Hey, pretty good, Jim. Uh, 66 years old. I've been following the Masters for, oh gosh, 55 years, 50 years at least. Uh, anyway, this, uh, uh, Mickelson, uh, debacle, you might say. I think it's a, uh, uh, conspiracy. It's a, uh, I think it's a shadow banning going on with the Masters. With uh, Fincham, it's a shadow banning.
1: You think that yep, they do not, you think they don't banning. want him there? Is that... Ah. No, there no. is that. A like shadow banning. I tried to ask him what that meant, and then, I don't know. Alby, did you run him because you didn't like his take or because he didn't answer the question, or what? We go to San Antonio, Ed, in San Antonio. Hey, Ed, how are you?
0: How are you? Wow, Dima, what a sobering interview. Uh, That just really touched me. And speaking of sobering, I wanted to do a welfare check on Kathleen in Omaha. I know we haven't heard from her in several weeks ever since she did those epic flame outs last month. And, you know, frankly, I'm just kind of worried. I heard that she had some type of acute medical condition, and I know a lot of it. You can blame it on the fact that she works the late shift. And, you know, she's been grinding Chuck all night. And no, she doesn't work at Omaha Steaks. So, anyway, Kathleen, put down the corn liquor, pick up the phone, and give us a call.
1: So, Ed in San Antonio sounds like he's concerned about Kathleen. Uh, I'm a little skeptical that he actually is but he said that he called because he wanted a welfare check because she had been suffering from some, quote, acute illness and had not heard from her. I'm sure she's fine. I hope she's fine. Why don't we try Ryan in Sacramento? Hey, Ryan, how are you? What's up, JR? How you doing? Good, dude. You? Excellent. Thank you for asking. Hey,
0: uh, yesterday confirmed that James in Portland
1: is the greatest
0: stoner in the history of the jungle this guy's idea of a balanced breakfast is a joint in each hand if he ever got the opportunity to break into alvy's bedroom to film a fake video i'm pretty sure the audio would go like this
3: hey wacky breaky joint
0: anyways i digress I want to war Clone Stock 2022 in LA on June 24th and Unwar Riverside, Bakersfield, and Fresno.
1: I'm out. A wakey bakey joke? Wakey bakey. But he did mention a Clone Stock in June in LA. I'm all for that. I'm not getting anywhere near it, but I'm all for it. Just kidding. No, I'm not. <laughs> Good night now!